chapters four to six. And these chapters are much more like one of those guidebooks uh, for walking in the Lake District or somewhere like that. Uh, the purpose of those books is to give you practical advice, uh, direction as you walk through the world. It's meant to help you experience and enjoy the world pictured in the photo book. And that's what Paul gives us in chapters four to six. It's kind of like his walker's guide to the Christian life. In fact, that's exactly the kind of language that he uses. So in 4 verse 1, he urges us to live, or more literally, to walk a life worthy of our calling. 4 verse 17, he says we should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Then in our chapter today, chapter 5 verse 2, he says we're to walk in love. 5 verse 8, we're to walk as children of light. And then in verse 15, he tells us to be careful how we walk. And so you see, Paul is giving us the, the walker's guide to the Christian life. He's telling us how to experience and enjoy the amazing truths of chapters 1 to 3. And with that in mind, we're going to look together this morning at chapter 5. And like any good warning, walking guide, Paul gives us some warnings, some things to, to watch out for on the journey. Well, that's what we see in verse 3. So first we get the warning. The warning. Uh, just look at verse 3 with me. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Uh, Paul says, as you walk through the Christian life, you need to watch out for the cliff edge of sexual immorality. And by sexual immorality, he means anything that is outside of God's good design for sex. And I know even as I say that, there are, that there are lots of people for whom the idea that God should have any say in something like our sex lives is at best outdated and at worst oppressive. But the Bible is clear, God cares deeply about every aspect of our lives. He cares what we do with our bodies, and he cares what we do in our bedrooms. And because he cares, he, he's designed sex in a particular way. He's made it to be part of a lifelong, exclusive, safe and loving marriage between a man and a woman. And he's designed it that way not, not to oppress or to harm us, but to, to love and protect us for our good. And so when Paul talks here about sexual immorality or impurity, he's talking about anything that, that is outside of that design. Anything that says, I'm going to do what, what I want to do, not what God says I should do. And that's partly why he mentions greed there in verse 3. Because that can be our underlying attitude, can't it? We can have this attitude of self-indulgence, self-gratification, when it comes to sex, an attitude that says, it's all about me. Uh, Paul says, no, no, that is wrong for children of God. And then in verse 4, he says, it's not just what we do, but, but also what we say. Uh, verse 4, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. You see, what we say 
influences what we think and what we do. Our words shape our attitudes and our actions. And so if we speak about sex in a particular way, well, then we begin to think about it and treat it in that way. Men, if we speak about women in a particular way, well, we begin to think about them and treat them in that way. And so Paul says, watch out. Watch out for the danger, the cliff edge of sexual impurity, both in what you do and in what you say. And then he gives the reason in verse 5. Just look at verse 5 with me. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. It's a stark warning, isn't it? Paul wants us to be in no doubt. He says, for this you can be sure that sexual immorality is not an option for the Christian. It's not a path that we should walk down. He wants us to understand that a life of sexual impurity is a life of someone who doesn't know God. Someone who is outside of the kingdom and therefore under God's wrath. And the reason his warning is so stark is because he knows how easy it is for us as Christians to forget this. He knows how easy it is to be deceived, as he says, deceived by the world. How easy just to, just to go along with the crowd, to be swept up by the culture's attitude towards sex. And so to begin to feel odd, even ashamed, uh, for even suggesting that the Bible might have something to say about it. Paul knows it's easy to be deceived, easy to think it's okay to, to mess around by the cliff edge of sexual sin. And so he says you need to watch out, Ephesians. You need to see the destination of those who don't walk God's way. You need to see where that path leads, uh, that it leads to death and destruction, not liberation and life. And it's not just our behaviour that he warns us against, is it? Uh, just at the end of verse 7 there, he says it's a warning against associating with the people who practice that kind of behaviour. Uh, so verse 7, do not be partners with them, he says. Uh, now, of course, Paul isn't saying that we are uh, to cut all ties with our unbelieving friends. It would be very difficult for us to share the gospel with them if we did that. Uh, no, we're not to shut ourselves away in a monastery. But we do need to be aware of the danger of following our friends down that kind of path. We need to understand that there is a point at which just going along with it is dangerous. It leads us closer and closer to the cliff edge. And that is a dangerous place to be. And so Paul gives us a warning. He says, watch out for the cliff edge of sexual immorality. But that's not where his guidebook leaves us. He gives us the warning, but then next he shows us the walk. The walk. And this is where we see about living as children of light. So look at verse 8 with me. For, once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. 
For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. As we've gone through this letter, I wonder how, if you've noticed, how much Paul talks about transformation. Uh, We've seen, haven't we, that we were once dead in our sin, but that God has made us alive in Christ. We were once far away from God, but we've been brought near through the blood of Jesus. We were once strangers to God's promises, but now we are children and heirs. We were once ignorant in our thinking, but now we have learned Christ. We were once, we once had an old, corrupted self, but now we've been given a new self in Jesus. And in chapter 5, Paul continues this transformation kind of language. He says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Ephesians is packed full of transformation of before and after. And the key thing that Paul wants us to understand about all of those changes is that none of them are down to us. We thought about how we did not make ourselves alive. We didn't figure out how to get near to God. We haven't enlightened ourselves or bettered ourselves or improved ourselves in any way. No, God did all of those things for us. In his amazing grace, God has completely changed us. He's done what we could not do for ourselves. And that means as we think about Paul's warning here and the darkness of something like sexual sin, we need to be very clear this is not something we can sort out ourselves. And so whoever we are, whatever we have done or are doing in this area, the first thing that we need to do is come to the God of grace. We need to take a long, hard look at that photo book of chapters one to three and see that in his mercy and grace, God has made a way for us to be forgiven. That through Christ, we can be made new. Our past sin completely dealt with and our present lives completely changed. That is something that God does for us. And so we need to come to him. And then if you've done that, if you are trusting in Jesus, well then Paul says you have been brought from darkness to light. That is who you are now. In Christ he says you are light. And so the implication then is to go and live like it. Go and live or walk as children of light. Or as verse 9 puts it, produce the fruit that is consistent with the person that God has made you to be. The fruit of goodness, of righteousness and truth. The the kind of life that comes from being united to Jesus. And then he says in verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Just as we saw last week how crazy it would be to go back to our old stinking clothes now that we've been given new clothes in Christ. Here Paul says, don't go back. Don't go back. Have nothing to do with those empty, fruitless deeds. Those deeds of darkness. That is not who you are anymore. Don't go back to the darkness, says Paul. But instead, end of verse 11, let your life 
expose it. You see, Paul says that it's as we live as Christians, as we live lives of this goodness and righteousness and truth, as we stand out, as we're different and distinct from the world around us, that the light of Christ shines in a dark world. And he says that as we do this, as our lives expose the the emptiness and the fruitlessness of sin, there will be some who see that and then come to see their need of Jesus. That's what I think he's talking about in verses 13 and 14. That as we live in the light, other people will be exposed to that light. And through that exposure, they will be brought into or become light themselves. And so verse 14, the the light of Christ will shine on them. Christ will wake them up. Christ will bring them from death to life. He will take them from darkness into his light. And so that is our hope. That is our prayer as we strive to live as children of light that others would see and they themselves would become light. They would come to trust Jesus. That's our aim. But then what does that actually look like? What does it involve for us to live as children of light? Well, in the last few verses, Paul gives us some more practical pointers. So look at verse 15 with me. Verse 15, he says, Be very careful then how you live or how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Back in chapter 4, Paul said that we were darkened in our understanding and lived in the futility of our thinking. In other words, we were unwise. We were foolish, living as though God was an irrelevance and life was all about me. But Paul said, didn't he, that was, that was back then. Now you have learned Christ. God's wisdom and truth is in you. And so he says, live according to that truth. Walk in God's wisdom. And he says walking in wisdom, first of all, means being careful about how you use your time. Look at verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly easy to waste my time, to spend it on fruitless, pointless things rather than making the most of every opportunity. Apparently, the average Brit spends around four hours scrolling through their phone every day. Four hours on the phone and around two to three hours watching TV. Of course, there's there's nothing wrong with having an Instagram account or, or Netflix. But just think for a minute what life would look like if we spent even half that amount of time doing the things the Lord calls us to do. Loving our neighbour, fighting against injustice, caring for our family, sharing the gospel. Paul says walking in wisdom means making the most of every opportunity, being careful with your time. It means knowing what the Lord's will is, spending time understanding that in his word. And then using your time to go and do it. Be careful with your time, says Paul. And then secondly, walking in wisdom means being careful with your tongue. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The average person uses around 10,000 words a day. That's not including the 90 or so texts and WhatsApp messages that we apparently send. That's a lot of words, isn't it? And we know that our words have power. We've already seen that the things we say influence our, our attitudes and our actions. And so unsurprisingly, Paul wants us to think carefully about our speech. He says, don't let your words and therefore your actions be fueled by alcohol. Because that can lead to all sorts of evil. Just think about the, the drunken text that leads to the one night stand. Or the crude, coarse jokes that come after one too many pints down the pub. Paul says, don't let your words and your actions be fueled by booze. No, let them be fueled by the Spirit. Let the Spirit be the one who influences what you say, so that your words are filled with God's truth, with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Use your tongue, your speech, to give thanks to God, to praise Him, to declare His goodness and His grace, whether that's singing in your lounge this morning, or chatting to your friends on Zoom, or going for a walk, or sending a text. I'm sure we all know those people, don't we, that, whose words just seem to be filled with gospel truth. Those people who just seem to do our souls good every time we talk to them. That would be a great thing to pray, that we would be those kinds of people. That the things that we say, the things that we tweet, would do others good and give glory to God. That we would use our words to build up, to, to speak the truth in love and to be filled with thankfulness to the Lord. So what does it look like? What does it involve to walk as children of light? What, is, what does Paul's guidebook say that we should, uh, the path we should take this week? Well, first he says we need to watch out for the cliff edge of sexual sin. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived into thinking that it's not a big deal, because it is. And then we should walk. We should walk as children of light. Being wise when it comes to our time, thinking about how we can make the most of every opportunity. And being wise when it comes to our tongue, being influenced by the spirit that lives in us as we praise God with our words. And Paul says, as we do those things, as we walk this walk, we should pray that, well, that others would see Christ in us, that they would be exposed to his light, the light of the gospel, and that they would come to know him for themselves. Let's pray for those things now. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to, uh, first of all, acknowledge the ways that we don't live as your children. Father, we are deeply sorry for when we make life about us, when we make things, good gifts like sex, all about us and not about you. Father, please forgive us for walking in darkness. But Father, we thank you so much 
for your grace. We thank you so much that the gospel says we have been changed, we've been transformed from darkness to light. Father, thank you that is something that you do in us. And so we pray that by your spirit you would help us this week, today, to live as children of light, to show Jesus to the world in the way that we live. And Father, as we do that, we ask that you would bring others to know him, to know his light and be transformed. Father, we ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.